Good morning. <clears throat> Happy New Year uh, to you and to your family. Um, I hope that you've had some opportunity over the holidays to reflect and uh, to remember the goodness of God toward us, and uh, we have so much to be thankful for. Um, I'm thankful that uh, we are here together this morning around God's Word, and uh, speaking of which, would you open your copy of God's Word to two places this morning, um, Acts chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Acts chapter 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, um, you know that normally uh, we don't usually spend one message in a couple of different passages, but today's message is a little bit different because uh, today we begin a brand new series going verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so uh, we want to spend some time this morning just establishing some background and some context to help us understand why this letter in the Bible was written, uh, but also to help us understand why this letter in the Bible is so relevant to us today as a church and as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, I had mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that uh, Pastor Kyle was scheduled to preach this morning. Um, some of you know that uh, Kyle's dad has not been well uh, for quite a while, and uh, in fact, it was to the point this week where uh, Kyle wasn't sure if this would be the last opportunity that he would have uh, to see his dad and to spend some time with him. Uh, so plans changed earlier this week. Kyle was able to make his way out to Alberta uh, to be with his family, and uh, I know that uh, Kyle and Julie would, um, and their family would deeply appreciate uh, your prayers, our prayers, uh, just as the Lord brings them to your mind over uh, the coming days, coming weeks ahead. Um, if you would pray for them and just pray for uh, just extra portions of God's grace and mercy uh, and care and compassion upon their family. Kyle's dad knows and loves the Lord. Um, and so if you would pray for them uh, in the coming days ahead, that would, I know they would love that. They would appreciate that so much. And, and so speaking of that, why don't we just pause right now, let's pray, um, and ask for God's blessing upon us right now. Father, um, <clears throat> we are very thankful uh, for this time that we have together around your word, uh, to gather together as your people right now. And um, Lord, we, we want to take this opportunity as well just to pause and to uh, to pray for Kyle and for Julie and their family and to pray specifically uh, for Kyle's uh, parents, his dad especially. And uh, Lord, I, I do thank you that um, you know the struggles, the physical struggles that have, uh, that have been uh, the life of Kyle's dad for a long time now. Uh, I thank you, God, that he is in your care. I thank you for the saving work that you have done within his life and that there is nothing within this life that will uh, prevent you from being faithful to the very end. And so, Lord, um, in these days, I pray that you would bring comfort and compassion to Kyle's dad, that he would know, especially at this time, uh, that your promises are true, that you are faithful, that you are good no matter what. Uh, Lord, I, I do pray the same for Kyle and Julie and for their family as well, that you would surround them with much love and grace and compassion, and that they uh, too would be reminded that your promises are true, that your promises are true for them as well, just like they're true for every single one of us gathered here in this room uh, right now. So Lord, um, we ask for your care and compassion upon them. Lord, I, I pray for uh, the many others who might be sitting in this room right now who are going through something similar in their life and in their family, uh, going through a difficult season with health struggles and uh, grief and difficulty. Lord, I know there's some in our church family who are struggling right now with, uh, with pain, with uh, health that has changed, um, in some cases pretty dramatically and unexpectedly. And in those cases, Lord, I, um, I pray 
that you would sustain us by your grace um, to help us again, uh, just to help us remember and to rest in your promises that you have made. Uh, Lord, to know that you walk with us every step of the way, that you will not leave us, you will not forsake us, that you are our healer. Um, Lord, that, uh, that there is nothing in this life, there's nothing in this universe that will ever be able to take away the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Not even sickness, um, not even health difficulties, not even challenges that we go through day by day that, that change us in ways that we didn't see coming, uh, that make it difficult for us to understand what you're doing. But Lord, in the midst of that, I pray, um, give us eyes to see um, that you're in control, that you're still sovereign, that you still sit upon your throne, uh, that all of these things fall under your care and your provision and, and your direction ultimately. And so, <coughs> so Father, for, um, for all those gathered here in this room right now who are facing those challenges, I, I just pray, um, Lord, that we would we would see you and, and see your power in a fresh way today. Um, and Lord, even now as we open your word, would you please guide us? Would you please help us, Spirit of God? Um, would you come and, and do the work among us to sanctify us, the work that you desire to do, the work that uh, you have ordained to do from before the beginning of time for this day, for this message among these people gathered here right now? Um, Lord, we are your people, and um, if we... Uh, do not have a word from you, then we have nothing. And so, Lord, we ask, uh, we plead with you. I pray humility right across this room. We ask in the spirit of humility that you would lead us. Help us to understand what your word says. Help us to understand as well how we need to respond because of what your word says. Um, so, Lord, teach us, lead us, change us. Um, remind us of your love, your care, your compassion, your grace upon us. Even again today as we open your word for which we are very, very grateful. So Lord, uh, we commit this series to you as well, praying for your leading among us. We ask now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this new series that we're beginning today is uh, simply called The Church. The Church, and um, one of the major themes that uh, we're gonna see pulsating all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians is how the people of God, who have been saved by the grace of God, are to live out their faith in God, not just individually as Christians and followers of Jesus, but really how that happens collectively as the church as well. And when you look at 1 Corinthians, you'll see that um, it's a fairly lengthy book. And so we're going to take this book and we're going to divide it into five major sections as we spend the next year or so uh, going through this book verse by verse. And, and I want you just to see a little bit of where we're headed as we make our way through this series. So section one, which begins today, is called The Church Undivided. The church undivided. So what does it mean for us as a church uh, to live in unity with one another? We're actually going to talk a little bit about that this morning already. And then section two is called the church undefiled. Um, there were specific issues arising within the Corinthian church around sexual sin and impurity, and the church didn't really know how to handle it. And so Paul writes to them with instructions that this is what it means for the church to be pure, to be undefiled. And, and that leads then to section three, and uh, we're not going to go into great detail with all of these sections right now, but section three is called the church understanding, and then the church undistracted, and then we get to the final section to close out the book, the church undefeated. And um, so that's a little bit of where we're headed, but what I want you to understand right now this morning is that uh, the story of this church in Corinth actually begins in Acts chapter 18. And so let's have our Bibles open there, Acts chapter 18, 
And uh, let's start reading chapter 18 and verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So let's pause right here just for a second. Um, These first few verses in Acts chapter 18, we are uh, catching Paul right now in the middle of what we traditionally know as his second missionary journey. And so if you look at this map up on the screen, you can see that this journey begins all the way in the east on the right side of the map in this place called Antioch, right next to the number one. And Paul's going to travel all the way across this continent proclaiming the gospel of Jesus everywhere that he goes. And he's being supernaturally led by the Spirit of God as he does that so clearly and fact that when he arrives at this place called Troas, right beside number two, when he arrives at Troas, he has a vision of a man in Macedonia pleading with him to come over and to help them and to preach the gospel to them. And Paul immediately takes that to be a vision from the Lord. So he and his team pack up and they cross over the sea and they arrive into Macedonia and they get there and and as soon as they get there, they face unprecedented persecution. Like they're facing opposition on every side, they're thrown into prison, and it would have been so easy just for Paul to sit there and to wonder to himself, hey, listen, did we make a mistake? Because it seems so clear that, that God had been leading us, that he had been moving us, and, and it seems so abundantly obvious that this is what God wanted us to do, and so now we've done that, and here we are, and we're in this place that we thought God wanted us to be. Did we make a mistake by coming here? Did we not hear God right? And yet it's so interesting to read through this section in the book of Acts and and to see how God is using that opposition and he's using that persecution and people are getting saved in absolutely dramatic ways. So from Macedonia then, they travel south down through to Athens at the bottom chunk of that land and then they eventually uh, arrive in a place called Corinth. That's right next to number four on the map and they get to Corinth. Now, while God is doing all of that through Paul and bringing him all the way across that continent, he is also leading a couple named Aquila and Priscilla all the way from Italy at the top left of the map and they've been forced out of Rome by Claudius. Verse two tells us that. And they too now have found their way down to this place called Corinth in a totally different way than how Paul got there. In fact, look at Acts chapter 18 again. Verses four through six, Paul is preaching the gospel in the synagogue. Verse six says that the people opposed and reviled him. But then look at verse seven. Verse seven says, and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Now notice this, verse eight, as we get into verse eight, notice the work that God is doing, the supernatural things that God is about to do, even in the face of the opposition and being reviled and being persecuted. Notice now how God is going to work in the midst of that. Verse eight, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. 
And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So God tells Paul in a dream one night, I want you to keep preaching the gospel, even in spite of the opposition, even in spite of the distraction, even in spite of the persecution, keep preaching the gospel, because there are so many people in this place called Corinth who are my people, and some of them have been saved already, they're part of the church now, but there's a lot of people still in Corinth who aren't saved yet, but they're going to be saved because you're going to keep preaching the gospel. Like God's doing this supernatural work among these people. And verse 11 closes this off and says, and he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now notice this. In a way that only God can He is literally bringing people from all over the place who he has determined will be part of this church that does not yet exist in Corinth. God is building his church in exactly the way that he wants to build it. Listen, loved ones, listen carefully. You are here, and it's no accident that you are part of this church. It is no mistake that you are here and you are part of this church. God has brought every single person who is here to be here by his perfect design. And think about this, we've all come from many different places and we've arrived here from many different pathways and yet what binds us together, despite all of the things that could make us so different, what binds us together is that God has saved us by his grace and we're part of this community that is held together by that same grace. Back in the fall, um, we had talked and prayed about the possibility of uh, planting a church in Simcoe in that area. And we gathered together at a prayer meeting back in the fall to pray specifically for God to lead us through that. And, and as elders, as we process all of that, as we continue to pray about that, as, as we continue to talk to some of you about that as well, um, we're realizing, sensing more and more that the Lord is just calling us back to keep praying, to keep seeking the Lord together as a church family in this. And, and uh, even as we pray and we wait upon the Lord for that, for anything like that, like we cannot forget that if anything like that is going to happen at any time and in any way, if any of that is gonna happen, it's gonna be because the Lord brings it together. It's gonna be because the Lord is the one who does it. Like, like just think of what could be happening Like right now, there could be people getting saved in our midst right now who one day could be part of that church plant. Like even right now, there could be people getting saved in other places, people that we don't even know and in places that we don't even know. People could be getting saved right now who the Lord is gonna work in their life and he's gonna direct their path in a certain way so that they could be part of that church plant. Like even here among us, right here, right now, God is already working and already moving and rattling some cages in some senses because he wants to use us in ways that up to this point we just haven't seen clearly yet. And so what we need to understand, what we need to keep in mind through all of this is that what was true for Corinth is also true for us. If this is going to happen, then God is the one who brings all the people together and puts all the pieces in place. I mean, that's the story of this church. I mean, this church wouldn't be here if God didn't do that. I wouldn't be here if God didn't do that. You wouldn't be here if God didn't do that. Like, that's the story of us right here. See, as God continues to build his church among us, whether it's here in Brantford or in Simcoe or really in any other place that he would desire to work, um, understand something. Um, it's not going to come without opposition. Right, because that's, that's what we see here in Acts 18. It's what we see really through so much of the book of Acts that... that um, Just pause and consider this for a second. 
whenever um, you're part of a church where God is at work and God is moving in powerful ways, and, and really, it's, it's not just being part of a church, but, but whenever you're at a place in your life where, um, where you are close to God in his word, and, and you're like diving into God's word and you're seeing the goodness of God in his word. And, and whenever um, you're in that place where, where you're spending that time in prayer with God and, and you feel that closeness, you feel that fellowship with God and, and you're just driven to those times in prayer and in his word and you're engaging in the spiritual disciplines and, and you're sharing your faith with the people around you and, and you're doing whatever it is that God is laying on your heart to do. Like when you are in that place, understand something very clearly. It's almost like you're signing signing up for the opposition, right? You're signing up for the persecution. You know that when you're getting close to God, that persecution's gonna come. That opposition is gonna be there. You're gonna have to deal with things as it happens because, and, and listen, have you ever stopped long enough to just kind of pull yourself back from that and ask yourself, why does it happen like that? Like, why does, it, why does it go on like that? Like, why is it that when I'm at the, one of the best places in my relationship with God and things are humming along and, and it's, it's better than it's been in a long time and, and I'm in a good spot with God, why is it that in those moments I feel so much opposition, I feel so much persecution, I feel so much distraction all around me? Why is that? That's the way it is because the enemy is not going to sit back and just let the glory of God be multiplied in your life or be multiplied in the life of this church. Like the enemy's not gonna sit back and just let all these things happen. Like think about this. Why do you think it is that the enemy tries to weasel his way in and create divisions among us? Like why is it you think that the enemy tries to weasel his way in and create factions among us and gossip among us? And, and why is it that he takes these innocent conversations that happen between people that, that in some cases just mean nothing, but then he twists them into something that, that it isn't really and somebody takes it wrong and feelings get hurt and relationships get strained and priorities get lost? Like why? Why does that happen so frequently? It happens because the devil knows that God is at work in this church. It happens because the devil knows that God is at work within your life. And listen, Satan would love nothing more than to destroy this church. The enemy of our soul would love nothing more than to destroy the leaders of this church, the ministry of this church, the relationships that are here within this church. And that's why, friends, that's why so much that as we dive into this series in 1 Corinthians, that in so many ways, this is like a wake-up call for us as a church. This is a serious wake-up call for every single one of us to understand that the supernatural power of God that has brought this church together is the same supernatural power of God that will continue to hold this church together. Like, we need to understand, even as we dive into this series right now, we need to get this. We need to be a church that is hungry for a word from the Lord. We need to be a people that is thirsty to hear from God. We need to be a people who realize that these battles that we fight, that these are not battles that we fight against one another. These are battles that we fight against an enemy that we simply cannot see. And if we are even entertaining the thought of victory within those battles, we need to be a people who realize that that victory will be found nowhere except on our faces before Jesus Christ in prayer. Like, we got to understand, this is a wake-up call for all of us. Like, for me, for sure. 
Like this is a wake-up call for me, for our elders, for our staff, for ministry leaders, for ministry servants, all the way across the church. It is a wake-up call for every single one of us to realize, to realize that there is so much at stake. There's so much that's on the line here to realize in, in a fresh way that what we are here, that what's happening here right now and what happens at different times through the course of the week as we gather together, that what's happening, like we are not a social club. We're different than a recreational club. We're different than a social gathering. We're different than a recreational team. We're different than a community group. Why? Because we are the church. And there's something distinctly different about what God has designed the church to be. That brings us now to our passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So if you want to flip ahead in your Bible, a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as you do that, um, it's important to understand that, that the city of Corinth itself was a very unique place in the ancient world. Um, the city was a major passageway for shipping, which led to a very vibrant economy. And um, naturally, because the economy was so strong, Corinth attracted many different people from many different cultures. In fact, uh, for all of the cultural diversity that existed there, Corinth seemed extremely proud of their religious diversity. And the spiritual climate of the day was such that people wouldn't simply choose just one small G God and worship that God. They would try and get their hands on, get their arms around as many small G gods as they possibly could, and they would try and worship all of those gods at the same time. Even more than that, however, Corinth was best known for being one of the most sexually permissive societies in the ancient world, largely because of its connection to the widely worshipped goddess of love who apparently made her home right in the heart of Corinth. And there were men and women all through Corinth and all through the surrounding areas who would come to Corinth specifically for that because they wanted to worship this goddess. And, and so Corinth was very well known as a place uh, that promoted and endorsed that. And so that's just a little bit of the flavor of the city where this church is being planted. And so after Paul has planted this church, he stayed there for a little while, but then he left. And after he left, he receives a letter from the people who make up this church in Corinth who are telling him that things are not exactly going in the way that they had hoped they would go. And so you read through 1 Corinthians and you can see this long catalog of things that are just, they just seem to be going wrong all over the place. People are choosing sides about which leaders they want to follow. There's a kind of sexual sin that's being tolerated in the church that would not even be tolerated within the world. Christians are suing each other because they can't get along. Some have questions about marriage and singleness and divorce and sexual ethics. Pride and selfishness are turning the Lord's Supper into a drunken feast. People are running wild with spiritual gifts. False teaching has crept in and, and created confusion about some fundamental matters of the faith. And the list goes on and on and on. And it's like you read through 1 Corinthians, you read through this catalog of stuff that's going wrong. And, and let's be honest, like we read that and we filter that through our 21st century North American evangelical Christian mindset. And we think to ourselves, man, if if ever there was a church to leave, that's the one, right? Like they got some issues, right? They are an extremely messy church. And so Paul is writing 1 Corinthians to answer a lot of these questions that they have. And what's so interesting about this is that Paul says that 
And, and we're gonna see this over and over again. He says that when you're part of a church that looks messy on the outside, and when you stick around long enough and you realize that you're part of a church that is messy on the inside, he says the answer is Jesus. Now, if you're anything like me, you might be sitting there right now and thinking, well, that's great. That sounds like the Sunday school answer, right? Like when in doubt, answer Jesus, right? And so, but here's the thing. Like it's absolutely true. When you're part of a church that looks messy on the outside and on the inside, the answer is Jesus. And what we're going to find as we go through 1 Corinthians is that Paul keeps bringing the church back to the gospel over and over and over again. We as a church have to understand that following Jesus really is at the heart of every issue that we face. That at its core, we are called to be distinctly different from the rest of the world. And that's what 1 Corinthians is actually about. How to be a church that lives counter to the culture instead of caving to it. How to live as a church that that lives counter to the culture instead of caving to it. And so, with all of that now, as, as our backdrop, um, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul writes this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so four ways that we see just in these few verses here, four ways the church is called to be distinctly different now from the rest of the world. What does it mean for us as a church to be distinctly different from the rest of the world? Four ways. Here's number one. We are a people under authority. We are people under authority. So Paul is writing this letter with a brother named Sosthenes. Uh, We know almost nothing about Sosthenes except that it appears that he was saved at some point around Acts chapter 18 that we just read a few minutes ago. Um, So notice this first though in verse 1 that Paul is called by the will of God. Verse 1, he's called by the will of God. So this now takes us back to Paul's salvation experience on the road to Damascus. You remember that? Paul's making his way into the city of Damascus. He's walking down the road that leads right into the city. And as he's doing that, he's blinded by this vision that comes from heaven. And he's just totally laid out in humility before the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life is completely transformed. And so this guy, who to this point in his life had spent his life killing Christians, has been so dramatically transformed now by Jesus that he would now lay down the rest of his life to proclaim this gospel. Like the power of God had changed his life and put him on a new track. He was called by the will of God. In essence, Paul now is there because he is a man under authority, which in the bigger picture means that he's not in Corinth right now just because he happened to think that church planting would be a promising career move. Like he's not there in Corinth right now because he got voted in by some committee He's not there because he won a popularity contest or because he had enough money to get his way. None of those are the reasons why he's there. He is there because he has been called by the will of God. He is there as a man who is under the authority of someone else. That word called in verse 1 means that your presence is being requested by someone. 
but it's the kind of request where refusal is not an option. So in the Bible, we call this an irresistible call. An irresistible call. And and that's not just the story of uh, Paul's salvation, it's the story of all of our salvation as well. Like if you're here right now, you're saved in Jesus Christ, you are here because you arrived at a point in your life where God brought the circumstances of your life together in such a way that there was no way on the green earth that God created that you would ever be able to deny the work of his salvation within your life. It's an irresistible call. And you have been saved by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. All of this work that God has done within your life. See, we are called by the will of God. Jesus says in John 6 verse 37, he says that whoever the Father has given him will come to him. Think about that. There is nothing that will stop those whom God has chosen from being saved in Jesus Christ. So consider for a minute. Um, some of the friends or the family members that you spent time with over the holidays. Some of the coworkers, maybe that you spent time with over the holidays, those people that you've been praying for because you love them and you care about them and you've been sharing the gospel with them and you want nothing more than for them to turn away from their sin and turn away from themselves and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and the hope of eternal life. You want to see God do that work within their life. And so that's why we pray. And that's why we share the gospel, because we want to see God do this work, that when God brings them to that point within their life where things are going to change, circumstances are going to change, eyes are going to be opened, hearts are going to be softened, that when they get to that point, there is nothing in the entire universe that will be able to prevent them from not responding to the call of God upon their life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's why we pray for them. That's why we keep sharing the gospel with them, because this is an irresistible call. We are called by the will of God as those who are under authority. So verse 1 says that he's called by the will of God, but it also says that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. Um, Notice this, an apostle is a messenger Uh, We do not have apostles that uh, function with that official title like they did in Paul's day. Um, There were the original apostles uh, who were the foundation of the church, the Bible says, that gave us the word of God, but we do not have apostles who function with that official title today. But, But the idea of an apostle is that they are a messenger. And Paul here is a messenger who has been commissioned by Jesus to proclaim the message of the gospel. So as Paul sits down now to write this letter to the church in Corinth and and he puts pen to parchment, he's not writing this letter to tell them what he thinks they should do. He's writing this letter to tell them what God has already said. Because Paul is a person under authority. And friends, what makes us different from the world around us is that we too are a people under authority. Just think about it. The very first point in this whole series And already we're bumping up against something that is so widely rejected across our culture. I'm not going to live under authority. Who are you to tell me to live under authority of someone else? Who are are you to tell me that, that I should submit my life to the authority of an ancient book that's not even relevant? Like who are you to tell me that I should do what other people tell me to do? I'm just going to be my own authority. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to determine what's right for me and what's wrong for me, and you can do the same, and we'll just go our own way and do our own thing. I'm not going to live under the authority of anyone else. Can we just pause here and, and consider just for a minute 
the tragic part is how frequently and how easily that kind of cultural mindset just leaks its way into the church. Like, like let's, just, let's just take a breath here and, and let's let our own country be an example to us. Like we look across the, the religious, spiritual landscape of our country and how many churches have we seen flounder and die because they have taken themselves out from under the will of God and the message of Jesus. And the reality is that, that what could be applied corporately to the church could also be applied individually to the Christian. Like, like when you take your life, and, and even when you take parts of your life, and you pull yourself out from under the authority of the will of God and the message of Jesus, it's only a matter of time before your life descends into chaos. Like it's only a matter of time. Why? Because God has given us this book, and God is the one who has created life and God is the one who has not only created life, but he has ordered life to be lived in a certain way so that when we pull our life out from under the authority of this book, then it's only a matter of time before things start to fall apart in ways that we can't control. Think about it. How many churches, put this in the context of 1 Corinthians, how many churches we look around us floundering and dying because they're no longer a people under authority? I remember um, talking to a man from another church in our city many years ago now. At one time, the church that he was a part of was very vibrant within the city, was doing a lot of great things across the city, and they have since uh, closed their doors. They're no longer a church. And at the time of the conversation, though, a number of years ago, um, they still had a handful of people left. And, and um, so we were standing there in a circle. There were a bunch of people who were part of this conversation. And, and at one point, somebody in that circle asked him, well, like, why is that? Like, like, what happened that at one time, you had so many people who were part of this church and you were having an impact within the city and the gospel was being proclaimed and, and things were happening. Like, like what happened that, that one day, that used to be the story, but now, all these years later, like, you've got a handful of people left. They could see the writing on the wall. They were literally months away from closing the doors and not even being a church anymore. And so somebody asked him, like, why is that? And with no hesitation whatsoever, he said to us, the reason that that has happened is because we have stopped preaching the word of God. Wow, right? Like, talk about a self-indictment. Like, he knew. He knew in that moment they had stopped being a people under authority, and now their church is dead. And how many stories across our country could be told in the exact same way? Something soul-sucking happens when the church is more concerned about being like the world and less concerned about being like the word. May we never be a church that pulls ourselves out from under the authority of the word of God because that is what makes us distinct. It's what makes us different. We are a people under authority. That leads us to number two. We are a people with identity. We are a people with identity. First of all, uh, notice verse 2. Paul is writing to the church of God that is in Corinth. 
Um, that word church in verse 2 was frequently used in that day. Um, it means assembly or gathering. And, and uh, in Corinth in that particular day at Paul's time, there was a gathering for this, there was a gathering for that, there was a gathering for this and a gathering for that. They used that word so frequently. But Paul says here that, that we are the gathering, we are the church of God. This is God's church. So we need to understand that that this is not the church of a pastor. It's not the church of an elder. It's not the church of a leader or a staff member. Or it's not a church with that kind of ministry or a church that's part of that denomination or, or a church that is this congregation. Again, we are not a rotary club. We are not a social gathering. We are not a community group. We are the church of God. Like this is God's church. It's not mine. It's not yours. This is God's church. Like what makes us as a people distinct from every other assembly that meets in our city, whether it's right now or at different points through the week, is that we are God's people whom he has claimed as his own. And we gather together to worship our great God through faith in Jesus Christ who has saved us. And that's true for every other Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church within our city who may even be gathering right now at this very moment. We are the church of God. And when you think about it like that, that should inspire great faith within us, shouldn't it? Think of all the times that we've talked or we've prayed about having a building of our own. Like, God knows what we need, right? Somebody's got to have an amen for that, right? Like, God knows what we need, right? Yeah, he does. And so whether, whether he wants us in a building somewhere else, or whether he wants us to keep us right here where we are, which, by the way, um, this is a pretty amazing place in its own right, right? And, and God has been very good to give us this. Uh, remember a year and a half ago when we had to move to Braemar? Like, like we were literally within days of having to be out of here and not knowing where we were going to be in the next weekend or two. Like we were right up, butt up against the deadline, not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing where we were going to go, and yet in the midst of even that, God provided like God, God took care of us. He took care of his people. Why? Why? Because this is his church. It's not mine. It's not yours. This is the church of God. Our identity is rooted in the reality that we belong to God. We are his people and this is his church. But notice Paul also says in verse 2 that they are those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified. It means uh, to make holy, to set apart to God. But what I, what I want you to see here, there's something really important you need to understand. That word sanctified in the original language, it's in the perfect tense, which indicates a positional and a permanent sanctification that can never be taken away. Okay, it indicates a positional and a permanent sanctification that can never be taken away. In other words, here's what that means. God has already forever set us apart for himself and he is now committed to making us more like Jesus until the day that he takes us home and he makes us perfect forever. Like this work of salvation that God began in you from before the beginning of time, but at the day, at the moment that you got saved, God is committed to completing this good work within you. He's committed to making you more like Jesus, not just in this life, but there's coming a day when he takes you home to be with him forever, where he is going to make you perfect forever. 
which again, let's put this back in the context of this Corinthian letter. That's a pretty amazing statement to make when you consider all of the problems that were happening in the Corinthian church. Like such an important lesson for us here at this point. For as messy as the Corinthian church was, they were not identified by their sin. They were defined by God's saving work within their life. And that right there, loved ones, this is a call to grace for all of us. Like this is a call to see the grace of God within your own life. And this is a call for us to see one another in light of the grace that God has given to us. Because let's face it, like we are all messed up. Right? Anybody with me? Please somebody put up your hand. Okay, good. Okay? Like we are all messed up. Right? We all have issues. We all have sin that we're trying to overcome. We all have things that we're trying to work through. We are all in Jesus Christ. We are being sanctified. We have to be. Like God's doing this work within our life and it's not just us individually. It's us collectively as a church as well. And the reality is that whenever you get a large group of people together and you start doing different parts of life together at different times, in different ways, through different seasons, it's gonna get a little messy at times. And sometimes it's gonna be a little messier than it is at other times, but it is so critical for us to remember in the midst of all of that, that God never defines us by our mess. He defines us by what he's making us into in spite of our mess. And so we see that reality weaving its way all through 1 Corinthians, and we gotta understand, loved ones, grace, 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 grace. All over the, the place, 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 right? It works because it rhymes, okay? But seriously, like we see this in this book. We see this in God's word. There's gotta be grace. Like for all of us, we gotta look at one another with grace, with the grace of God through Jesus Christ and the work that he's done within us. Like truth, yes, absolutely. We need to speak truth. We need to speak truth in love, but that's gotta be seasoned with grace. Why? Because we're all messed up but we're saved by a gracious Savior. So let's look at each other with grace. Let's deal with each other in grace. Let's talk to each other with grace. Let's love one another with grace. Then verse two, he goes on and he says, we're called to be saints. Saints comes from the same root word as uh, sanctified. Right before it, it, it essentially means pretty much the same thing. They're set apart to God in every possible way. Um, Listen, um, God's word is telling you right now that as a follower of Jesus, as, as one of God's children, you are a saint. You're a saint. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you realize that the Bible calls you a saint. Um, All you know is that on most days you don't feel like one. And and it's a lot of pressure to live up to, especially when you look around at other world religions who who have saints for like everything under the sun, including the actual sun itself. There's a saint of the sun. And and like you just look at that and you feel like it's so much pressure to live up to. And and in so many of those cases, in those religions, in, in all of those world religions that are based on your works, the whole idea of being a saint is, is based on your own moral accomplishments. It's, it's based on an exemplary life that you have lived. And yet, whenever the Bible talks about us being saints, it's never because of what we can do for God or what we can do for each other. It's based on what God has already done for us in Christ. 
So the idea of being saints is that every part of our life is dedicated to God in every respect. We're laying down our life for the God who has saved us and declared us to be his. So think about this again in the context of the Corinthian letter. They're about to be told that their behavior needs to change in some very significant ways, and yet Paul begins this whole letter by reminding them first about who they are. They are saints. And when you and I come to understand that our identity is grounded in sainthood as defined by God, then that should bring all of us to a place of flat-out humility and to realize, wait a second, God calls me a saint. So that when you're having your, your time alone with God, when you're spending that time in prayer, when you're diving into his word, and you realize God has called me a saint because of his finished work within my life. And if God says that there are parts of my life that need to change, then I want to change those parts of my life because of who God says that I am. Like I wonder, just as we, as we head into this series, as we even start a brand new calendar year in 2020, like I wonder how many among us would be willing to say, God, based on who you have declared me to be, a saint in Christ Jesus, that if you tell me as we make our way through this series that there are parts of my life that need to change, then I want to change those parts of my life because of the work that you've done for me. Because you love me so much. Like I wonder how many of us across this room right now would be willing to say that, God, based on who you've declared me to be, here's my life. Whatever part you want to change, change it. And help me by the power of your spirit within me to make those changes within my life. But I'm laying down my life for you to do with whatever you want. Because I belong to you. Like understand, loved ones, that sainthood does not mean perfection. Okay? That's not what we're going after. It means that, that we live this life for God in every way that we can, knowing that one day, one day, we will be perfected by the grace of God. Listen, this is who we are. We are the church of God, sanctified in Christ and called to be saints, which leads us now to number three. So we are a people under authority, a people with identity, and then number three, we are a people in unity. We are a people in unity. I love the subject of unity. It's so important for the church. It's so important to God. And Jesus prayed specifically for us. He said, Father, I pray that they are one even as we are one. This matters so much to Jesus and it should matter so much to us as well. So notice what Paul says to them here in the rest of verse 2. He says, Call to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So notice here, notice, just follow Paul's train of thought. Notice some of the key words just here in verse 2. He says that they are called to be saints together with all of those who in every place call upon the Lord, both their Lord and ours. We are to be a people in unity. See, Paul's pointing this out to them to help them understand that they're not the only church where God's doing something. Like, like look at us. We're a big deal to God, but we're not the only deal to God. I remember uh, my first year in seminary, my very first class in seminary, and to that point in my life, my church experience had been so unbelievably vanilla. 
like same flavor for the first like 25, 27 years of my life. And, and, but it was a good flavor. I liked it and, and I enjoyed it. And so my first class, I get to seminary and, and I'm sitting at the back like a good Baptist should. And, and, so, and, then, and then I realize that on one side of me, there's someone from a Presbyterian church and then there's someone from a Pentecostal church and someone from a Lutheran church and someone from a Mennonite Brethren church and someone from a Baptist church. And, and I would get to know these brothers and sisters over time and realize that Jesus is both their Lord and mine. We went to Haiti a few years ago and we went to one of their church services and their worship style is wonderfully different from ours. And, but the thing is, they're preaching the same Bible. And they're worshiping the same Jesus. And so you hear them sing and you join them in prayer and you realize that the Jesus we love is both their Lord and ours. Like, like doesn't that just kind of blow your mind a little bit? Like some of you have been on mission trips to different places too and, and you've had those same experiences. You know what I'm talking about. Like doesn't that just totally amaze you that this God who saved me as a seven-year-old boy in a Sunday school program in a Baptist church in Chatham, Ontario is the same God who saved you in your circumstance wherever you happen to be. And he's the same God who has been leading people all across the globe for thousands of years to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and drawing us into this eternal family for the glory of his name. Listen, we are not the only thing that God's doing in the world. We're not even the only thing that God's doing in Brantford. Like, how amazing is that? What a testimony it could be to our community, not only that we speak well of other churches here who love Jesus and are proclaiming God's word, but that we also pray for God to keep blessing the work of other churches here. Like, God, yes, bless us. Pour out your favor upon us. But God, for all of the other churches in our city right now who are proclaiming your word, who are loving your son, who are proclaiming his name for the glory of God among the nations, God, bless them. Pour out your favor upon them. Multiply your blessing many times over upon them just as you do upon us. We are people of unity. And then finally, number four, he says we're a people of humility. Humility people of humility. Verse 3, Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. A typical greeting from Paul in his letters, but um, one that purposefully points the church back to the reason that they are, in fact, the church. It's because of the grace that God gives and the peace that God provides. You know, from the outset, this much is clear. The church is the church, not because of the abilities or the creativity of the people who make it up. The church is the church only because of the merciful outpouring of God's blessing upon his people. May the Lord help us to remember this as we begin this series, a people of humility. And it's not just a people of humility before God who realize that the entirety of our salvation is because of the finished work that God has done in us, that he's brought us to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But it's a people of humility who right now, like just look around the room. Look at the people sitting beside you, in front of you. Look at the people sitting across the room for you. It's a people of humility who are willing to say, I am willing to put the needs of others ahead of my own. I'm willing to love other people in the name of Jesus Christ, even if it costs me. Even if it comes at a sacrifice to me. A people of humility. 
who love one another in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to spend the next year or so um, airing the dirty laundry of a church that had lost its way. And it would be so easy for us to go through this series and just kind of hold up our collective nose and think to ourselves, wow, they are pretty messed up. Um, And all the while, all the while, not only miss the ways that we are messed up too, but at the same time to realize what a precious gift God has given us in the church. Spurgeon said it very simply like this. He said, the church is not perfect, but woe to the man who takes pleasure in pointing out her imperfections. Christ loved his church and let us do the same. Lord, may it be. May it be so. Let us love one another. Let us love the gift of this church that you have given to us.